good speed was talking about Jeff Davis and if the South would have won. I said, hey, what about old PBS pitch reconstruction and my boy Oscar Dunn? Wait a minute now, hey, two on, two outs, two strikes. Did you hear that bad crack? That's what I get for rooting against the Yankees. Cost me a bottle of Jack. And I can't win it back. Can't win it back. Cost me a bottle of Jack. Welcome to the one bottle. And I can't win it back. I can't win it back. Today, we are taking a little tack in a different direction. We are going to talk a little bit about some whiskey. Mr. Kurt Maitland, the Manhattan Whiskey Club. Enjoy. Today, we have Mr. Kurt Maitland of the Manhattan Whiskey Club. How are you doing today, Mr. Maitland? I'm good. I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to get to relax and uh, talk to you. Okay. Cool, cool. So now, uh, for our bottle today... Uh, what what we'll be uh, enjoying? What's the first selection that we'll we'll have to taste? The first thing we're gonna taste is a Strath Isla um, whiskey, bottled by Gordon and McPhail. It was distilled in 1987. Okay. I found it in Tennessee, and I got a deal on it. And <laughs> okay. I man. opened it up this weekend, and it's uh, it's really opened up nicely it, it's uh it's pretty tasty i'm kind of curious to know if you like it or not okay but, uh, all right so looking for a try okay give it a try mm-hmm. all right nice yeah nice 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 i mean it's uh it's it's fruity it's a nice fruity nose right i mean different hit on whiskey than you get for wine, right. you know, um, potentially, I mean, higher proof, that's part of it. Right. Definitely. But, um, I could, you know, you could, I could see you maybe with, uh, you know, block ice, this sit down somewhere, sit outside, enjoy it. Relax. Time. Right. With some, yeah. uh, some, some good jazz. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Some, you know, some good music and it to enjoy with, along with that. So tell us a little bit about your journey uh you know into uh actually getting to the point where you you wrote a book about whiskey <laughs> so just kind of start us off on on i guess the first whiskey that you had that kind of knocked your socks off and and took you on your journey well it's it's funny cuz it's like two different things it's like the first whiskey I ever had was jameson's the irish whiskey um which you can find pretty much in every bar friend of mine was that was her drink and when we were in college together you know i did wasn't overly fond of beer and so she was drinking whiskey so i drank whiskey with her (laughs) and so she kind of put me on the road to drinking whiskey on a regular basis Mm. um then when i went off to when i was off in dc actually a friend of mine is from kentucky so bourbon was his drink. Mm. So he introduced me to all kinds of different bourbons. Um, you know, your Maker's Mark and your Elijah Craig and your Knob Creek. And, you know, it was definitely different than Irish. Mm. Um, so it was like, okay, I'm learning more. And there's difference. The same with like with something like wine, how, you know, 
if you're in a if you're in a hotel or you're in a bar and they say like, oh, you want house red or house white, you know that there's many variations between a red. Mm. There are all types of reds mm. and all types of whites and all the things in between. Um, but getting to bourbon was like the first step away from Irish and me learning more. Mm. And then I moved to New York and that same friend who was teaching me about bourbon, he moved to Portugal and decided he wanted to write uh, he wanted to do a whiskey magazine on the web mm-hmm. and he pulled me into it. He's like, well, you're in New York and you, you write and you like whiskey. So I want you to write for me. And that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And so because I ended up having to interview people who were in the business for 30 years, I had to up my game. I had mm-hmm. to go buy books. Because, <laughs> right, right. you know, the, the thing is, I didn't want to waste their time. Mm-hmm. Here's, here are people who are getting asked questions every day. They've been doing their job for 30 years, 40 years. You know, you want to be able to have a conversation with them and talk to them, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour Mm. where the next time I want to talk to them, they're like, oh, that guy asked a good question Mm. or they got something out of it versus Mm. like you asked the boring things and they're like, oh, God, I don't really want to talk to that guy. Right, right, right. right. Because mm. they could talk to anybody. They don't have to talk to me. So, right. so your, 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 whiskey, your whiskey education began in earnest yeah, at that exactly. time. So you, you sought out uh, the information through books. Mm-hmm. And how did you reconcile that with uh, just experimenting on your own or, or, or in social gatherings and trying different whiskeys? How did you reconcile your book knowledge with your actual experience in tasting and drinking different whiskeys? Well, the funny thing is, once you start... You're writing, you're reviewing whiskey. Whiskey kind of shows up. Mm. So (laughs) brands understand that you're doing this stuff. So they're like, "Um, hey, um, would you like to taste this? Or doing an event, um, would you like to come and taste things that we have? Um, And then as I got, I had more knowledge of whiskey or got more into it. I end up being the guy going to the bar and I'm looking at the entire lineup in the bar and like, what haven't I had? Like, good or bad, mm. what whiskeys here haven't I tasted? So I can kind of like build up that library of like, oh, I like that one. Or I don't really like that other one or I want to learn more. And that and the books helped. And having friends who were in it as well because then we drink together. Mm. And you know, you get an expensive bottle. Hey, it's, they get their bottle, I get my bottle we kind of can share and right. like, what do you think about this one? Mm. You know, what do you think of the nose of this one? Yeah. I don't like that one. Why don't you like it? I love that one. Mm. That kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where I was kind of uh, pushing you to more or less. Cause for me, learning about wines was more of a experience with friends mm-hmm. as opposed to seeking out the information, uh, you know, in books and learning about maybe different regions one at a time. You know, more or less for me, it was actually having experiences with friends or going to uh, restaurants and trying different wines. So for me, it was more kind of uh, like kind of like learning a vocabulary in context right? versus uh, maybe like the, the, the fifth grader that that gets his uh, 15 vocabulary words, <laughs> you know, for for the month. Well, in you class, know, you could so, if you do a musical comparison, it's like I tell people. If you compare, let's say, a guitar player like Eric Clapton to Jimi Hendrix, Mm -hmm. it's like Clapton was a really good guitar player, but he was mainly learning from records. 
Hmm. He'd play a record, he'd try to play it back, and that's how he figured it out. Then he got into bands and he'd play with his guys, but they're all in the same situation. Hmm. If you're Jimi Hendrix, like there's a stretch where he's basically playing to eat. So it's like if that's your job and you're, you know, and he also got to play with people like, oh, I'm in Little Richard's band, I'm in the Isley Brothers band. Right, it's like right, right. what you're exposed to, just the experience of being in those bands, having to play. Um, where the band's not about you. It's not your band. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. you have to learn to fit in and do different things and, you know, fill different roles. Mm. It's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, it's hands-on experience versus like, because book learning will only take you so far. Right, book learning is right. useful. Right. My first trip to Japan or second trip to Japan, people were amazed at how much stuff I knew and I read a lot of books about it. But mm. that said, for a lot of this, it's more like you hang out, you hang with friends, you talk, you taste stuff together. Mm. And then like that builds out that institutional memory. Mm. Um, and the funny thing is like, I tell people, Oh, I review whiskey and they're thinking, you know, you're sitting around drinking by yourself. I'm like, no, I rather not. Like, <laughs> right, I, right, I right. come home from work. I won't necessarily touch the stuff. It might be, it's like more like, Hey, have some friends over. Let's open something. Right. You know, unless right. I'm on a deadline. That's how you like, enjoy it. Yeah. If I, if yeah. I'm writing, cause Oh, somebody needs a review at this point in time. Fine, I got to taste it to make my notes. Mm. But if I'm picking and it's just my call, I'd rather have friends over over and open up something and say, here, let's taste this. What do you think of this? Let's mm. talk about it. You know mm. what I mean? So now we had a little conversation earlier, uh, speaking of going to Japan, mm-hmm. where, where you, you were explaining to me how uh, whiskey has kind of the relationship uh, to wine mm-hmm. in terms of terroir mm-hmm. and, and maybe uh, national identities so as part of your uh, reviewing and, and learning more about whiskey, you travel different places. So I wanted to get a little bit about uh, some of the differences in your, your travels to uh, Japan and Ireland and also here in the United States to the places where they have the bourbon versus the whiskey versus uh, the whiskey in Japan. Right. You know, it's the Suntory, things of right. that nature. So, you know, tell us a little bit a little more about that, your experience in different places. Well, one of the, you know, big discovery for me was that, you know, a lot of the blenders, the people who are making the whiskey or people who are, you know, bottling whiskey, distilling whiskey, they're basing, you know, their their palate set up by, by what they eat. Mm. So if you have something like Japanese whiskey, Japanese food is, you know, very flavorful, but it's also delicate. And you kind of have to dig into it to kind of really get all of the flavors. Mm. You can't just, it's not like pizza where pizza is amazing. It's like you can shove it in your mouth and it's like, it's just great. Or a hot dog. And I think like American (laughs) food is like hamburgers and chili and hot dogs. A lot of that stuff doesn't need any explaining. It doesn't need you to dig into it. You're just Mm. like, oh, I bite it. I like it. And bourbon is great with that because mm. bourbon is rich, it's bold, it's kind of a heavy, you know, has a heavier um, flavor, a heavier mouthfeel. Um, for scotch, you have smoky scotches, you have sweet scotches. Um, and again, you know, you're maybe eating the fish or lamb or mutton. And for each of these different cultures, they've kind of made the whiskey, you know, they've kind of balanced out the whiskey with the food. Mm. And you'll find it really when you're at a tasting or at a pairing where you're getting both. Like you do with, uh, we've discussed with like wine. Right, yeah. um, there are some cheeses I remember having and having the cheese by itself and the cheese was boring. And then having like some effervescent white wine 
with the cheese, and the cheese had an entirely different, different flavor. flavor. It was an right, entirely right. different animal. Right, right. And it's like <laughs> nothing changed with that glass of wine. It's right. just that like you needed one thing to set off the other thing. Right, right. So the combination of the two excites the palate. Right. To a different degree. Yeah. Right, right. So now how would you compare, uh, uh, let's say, American bourbon mm -hmm. or American whiskey, for, right. for, for that matter? Uh, I guess Jack Daniels is considered mm -hmm. a whiskey. Yeah. Versus yeah, Jim Beam, the, the, something like Jim Beam being a bourbon. Yeah. Well, so now how know. would you compare that to Irish whiskey, Japanese whiskey? How, how would you compare, uh, I guess, the flavor profiles well, the simplest way, I mean, for all these, when you go from country to country, it's like bourbon's American, Japanese whiskey's Japanese, Irish is Irish. And that's just basically where was it created? And there are rules for each place. So there's rules you follow to make a bourbon in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it might be you don't follow those rules and you make a whiskey and it's just American whiskey. Um, if you're in Ireland, same thing. Scotland, same thing. Rules in Japan are kind of fuzzy. Um, Generally, for the bottles that they put in the competition, they'll follow the rules for scotch mm -hmm. um, as far as like how old the whiskey is, the minimum proof, that kind of thing. However, you will find that for domestic consumption, there's a lot, a lot of things that wouldn't technically be whiskey here. They'd be liqueur because they're below 80 proof. Mm -hmm. 80 proof is the minimum basically everywhere for your whiskey. Mm -hmm. So that's bourbon that's irish that's scotch it's like if it's below 80 proof it's no longer whiskey mm. um now to do the comparison i'd say you know it's like irish whiskey for the most part especially what the like the average releases are like jameson's like we mentioned before you know it's light it's easy to drink it's easy to pair pair with uh something like beer mm. um it's meant to be you know an easy drinking whiskey um, bourbons, like the thing is with bourbon is that bourbon at its best is an amazing spirit. It doesn't have the range of flavor profile that like scotch does because scotch has the, with bourbon, it has to go into brand new cask. With scotch, you have options. You can put it in different wine cask, you can put it in sherry cask, mm. and all of those things are going to affect the flavor. You can't really do that in bourbon. You can do it in American whiskey because the rule's a little bit different. But I find that, like, again, if you want bourbon, there is nothing that tastes like bourbon. Mm. There are things that are close, but bourbon's its own thing. Mm. It's kind of like, you know, if you want pizza, you know, only pizza's really going to do it. Right, you know, right. you can, I could give you tomatoes and cheese and something else. It's not going to cut the mustard. You really want pizza. Right, right, right. You and then you, then you, you know, like, things with pizza... Mm -hmm. It's a thing where people have biases and, mm -hmm. and different tastes where some people, you know, prefer the New York pizza right. versus Chicago. Right. Different different styles and because and, I, I often hear people say the thing that makes New York pizza is the water. Mm -hmm. the, you know, I guess whatever the quality of the water is, you know, affects the flavor right. of, of the of the dough and the pizza overall. Yeah. So I guess that's the same thing with the uh, with, with the bourbon. The bourbon and the whiskey. Yeah, but also because you mentioned terroir, which is a bigger thing in wine. And it's kind of come up as an issue in whiskey. The problem or the issue is, is that in wine, it's like, okay, well, I have a vineyard. I'm growing my grapes in this vineyard. That's the terroir. It's like, here, it's, you know, this water, this earth, these, these vines, these grapes. Mm. In 
in whiskey, especially in like scotch and Japanese, they're getting barley from the same places. So it's not like you're, you have your brand a scotch and Oh, the farm down the road is giving me my grains, my mm. barley, mm. you buying it for anywhere you can get barley and there's going to be an effect, but I think it's really more, I think with wine, it's what your, it's the terroir where you're getting it from. Mm. And that's the bigger thing. But with whiskey, because of the aging process, I think it's really, how do you distill the whiskey? Mm. How do you age it? How good's your cask management? Like what barrels are you using to age your whiskey? Mm. Where are you making the cut? So I think it's like more process to, you know, make a whiskey, a whiskey and maybe unique to that distillery. Where in wine, I think it is, terroir is definitely a thing. That's not a joke. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like you grow the same grapes. You grow grapes in Germany and you have grapes in Spain. Same type of grape. You're not going to get the same kind of result. Exactly. Right, right, (laughs) right. Definitely, definitely different. Yeah. One of the things that that fascinates me about uh, whiskey and bourbon as opposed to wine is, is, uh, you know, with the wines, you have obviously different vintages. Mm -hmm. And you have different, you know, uh, peculiarities, but there's a consistency that that goes with it. And with uh, whiskey and 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 bourbon, quality control. I'm I'm very, <laughs> I'm, I'm no, I'm very amazed that, you know, if, if I have a, a Jim Beam, that's two years old. Or if I have a Jim Beam, well, it should be three, oh, I'm three, sorry. three years in one well, day, but okay. a, a younger right. one, well, yeah, but a younger one, right. Well, not, <laughs> right? But obviously, if I have a, a Jim Beam, you know, from let's say three or four different years, mm-hmm. you know, that they were, were released, to my taste, the quality is pretty consistent. Well, that's part of the job. Right, like, right, right. If you're the master blender. The taste is pretty consistent, right? Yeah. If you're the master distiller you're going through and you're going through the releases, your job is to make sure that there's a certain consistency in flavor. That mm-hmm. like if your grandfather was a fan of one of these whiskeys and they're drinking this whiskey 20 years down the road, it still tastes like what they used to drink. Mm-hmm. Now, the reality is, as a guy who's had some older versions, there are changes. Like, if you got your hands, like, I I was in Scotland and somebody who was with us had a 1950s Chivas Regal. Mm. And I tasted it and I'm like, wow, if Chivas tasted like this, I'd buy it on a regular basis. I've had Chivas and it's fine for what it is. But the older version, because, the you know, Part of what attracted me to whiskey was that I was a history major in college. Mm. So, like, I love history. And so whiskey is full of that. And the thing is, what ends up happening is if you're making a blend, it might be that the the whiskey you used to use to make your blend, that distillery, it went belly up. Mm. It was on fire. Something happened. You got to find another whiskey made by somebody else that's close enough to what you used to use Mm. to keep making your blend. As a business, you're not going to stop making your whiskey. You just right. have to figure out, like, I need to find a puzzle piece that'll fit here mm. and give me what I want. And so if you went through a brand, especially a blended whiskey, and you went from, let's say, what they're releasing in the 50s to now, you'll find that there are whiskeys they used to use that 
hey, that distillery isn't around anymore. That distillery is really expensive. Mm. That distillery doesn't trade barrels to use for a blend anymore. And so you have to find something that's close. Mm. Maybe it was Macallan they used to use or Ardbeg in the old days. And then they're like, yeah, I don't have any Ardbeg, but I can get you Coila. Coila is another smoky whiskey, but it's different. And you have to figure out how to use that to get what you want. What's the right mix? What's the right blend? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a skill. People look at, uh, at whiskey and some people don't think it's that hard. But as far as if you're making a blend, if you want to make a really good whiskey, if you want to have good releases, and stuff like wood management and aging. Because so, for example, you talk about bourbon. Bourbon ages faster because of the heat that you have here versus the heat in Scotland. Mm. So you don't find hordes of 30-year-old bourbons, but it's not hard to find a 30-year-old scotch. Mm. Why? Because if you walk into a warehouse in Scotland, um, the difference in you know from the summer to the winter, it might be four degrees. You mm. might walk in there in the summer, and it's you know mid fifties, and you walk in there in the winter, it's low fifties, low you know high forties. Mm. And if you're in Kentucky and you're going in a bourbon, you're going to a Rick House. Hey, in the winter, it could be you know in the thirties. In the summer, it could be a hundred. Mm. Well, that increase in temperature changes how the whiskey ages and changes what you can do with your whiskey. You mm. can't keep it around the way you would because of where it is. Mm. And it changes like how each one does what they do. Mm. Mm. Okay. So now also in your, your, your travels and your, your experience, what is your take on uh, cracked Craft whiskeys, kind of like you know, with the the big craze in the U.S. with mm-hmm. the uh, with the craft beers. And yeah. what's your take and what's your tasting of, of some of the uh, craft craft whiskeys and craft bourbons as opposed to some of the more established brands? What I would say is that I mean, it's kind of like there's a catch twenty two. The interesting part is is somebody's trying to make a whiskey and they're starting from scratch. It's like part of it is you're not paying initially you're not paying for what they're really producing you're paying for what they'll produce in the future Mm -hmm. because you know unless they're really well funded they're starting out they're maybe doing like they're doing gin or a vodka or something so they can keep the lights on and pay the bill Mm -hmm. and then aging some whiskey and kind of figuring out like what's our flavor profile going to be because they're starting out new they may get a consultant to help them start it out Mm -hmm. but you know, where they are, you know, at the beginning of the process is different than where they are five years down the process. Um, I think some craft producers don't take enough time because of the financial constraints. Mm -hmm. It's hard. You're fighting with businesses like, oh, you're fighting with Four Roses, you're fighting with Maker's Mark, you're fighting with Woodford Reserve. They can sell a really good bottle for sub 40 bucks and they've been making it for 50, 60 plus years. They know what they're doing you as a consumer know what you're going to get. And, you know, a lot of times that bottle's cheaper than the craft bottle you're going to get. The craft bottle might not be a three, a 750 ml bottle. It may be a 375. So mm-hmm. imagine mm-hmm. you're making a choice. You're going to pay more. You're going to get less whiskey. Right. <laughs> and the other whiskey, you know, may be more established, whatever. But it's important to have. I mean, I imagine there's going to be a shakeout. Like the best of the craft mm. will they'll become the middle of the market. Like the, the, middle, the middle of the market for um, bourbon 
they'll move up and they'll be become they'll become the big boys in the future. Mm. And you know those craft whiskeys that are really good, the ones that survive that shakeout, they'll move up and they'll be the ones because they'll have the experience. Then they'll have had oh we've been making whiskey for fifteen years, right. and we know <laughs> the wood that works best with what or the grains that we like for our whiskey. And they'll have done their experiments because part of it is with the craft, you're paying for, for an experiment, right. which can be great or it can be bad. Like mm-hmm. I've had bad craft whiskey and it's, you know, I mean, people are trying mm-hmm. and there's things they do, but it's like you have that whole, the cat 22 is the, the trade off between quality and commerce. And there's times where you like, it works better when it's not their main business. Mm. Um, their companies were like, Oh, there are farms that have been farming for 80 years. And they decide to make a little whiskey. It's like for them, they'll wait the three years and make it better. They'll right. be fussier about their releases. They're not going to make a lot of whiskey, and maybe they're going to sell a smaller bottle. Mm. But because it's not, they're not rushing it right. to just make money. They're like, you know what? If we're going to do this, we want to make good whiskey. Mm. So you know. And those, from your experience, tend to be the ones that have have better quality. Yeah, um, mm. I mean, I think because. Like I said, the problem is you have established competition. I think with something like gin or vodka, where um, vodka, especially because of how it tastes, vodka, you know, you're you might drink it straight, but you're also doing stuff with, you know, you're mixing it, you're putting it in cocktails. Mm. There's a lot of leeway. Right. People it's more like, of a more of a neutral yeah, it's neutral. taste profile. So you can you can tweak that 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 uh, taste profile mm. with other things, gin. You know, not as flexible as vodka, but gin is definitely easier to deal with than like whiskey. And it's like if you get a bad whiskey, I get this is the reason I started the club Mm. is that people don't know about whiskey and they don't necessarily know what to get. And whiskey is an expensive game to play in. Like Mm. if you're going to start with scotch, the cheapest decent scotch you're going to get is probably going to be in the $30 range which is 10 bucks more than like, or 15 bucks more than like a decent wine. Right. Like you can, you can certainly dig around and be happy with $20 bottles of wine until you die. There's, there's enough of that around. Right, right. Enough if variety. You know what to look for, right. As long as you know what to look for, right. Yeah, you'll right. get stuff. Whereas with whiskey, it's like, you know, let's say you drop 50 bucks on a smoky whiskey and you don't like smoky whiskeys and you don't know this. Somebody, t- somebody <laughs> tells you, Hey, you know, um, Laphroaig is great. Well, Laphroaig is great. However, if you don't like smoky whiskeys and you, that's your first one, you're like, Oh, this is horrible. I don't want this. And it's, it's like a process. Mm. It's like, think of it like with whiskey, it's like whiskey training wheels. I might start you with Irish or bourbon and then move you up into kind of, you know, more complex flavors. It's like, you know, if you're a kid, you like sweet and you can live on sweet. (laughs) You might want to move this with wine. You know, Mm -hmm. it's easy to just have like a a basic red, but there's certainly like more nuanced reds you get into when you know more about wine. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. So now you mentioned your, uh, your whiskey club, Mm -hmm. the uh, Manhattan whiskey club. Uh, so, you know, tell us a little bit about how you started it <laughs> and uh, how, how uh, if someone would like to join and what's the, uh, what's the benefits of membership? <laughs> well, the benefits, <laughs> the benefits of membership is uh, you get to hang out with uh, me and my crew on occasion. We meet once a month. Um, we what I try to do is to get brand ambassadors to come in and talk about their whiskey mm. and 
tell you what makes it special, let you taste it so that you can make an informed choice. Mm. Like the end goal of the club and my end goal is that if I have a person come in and start the club and they're a newbie, they don't know anything about whiskey. After a year, they could walk in a bar or walk in a liquor store and they say, you know what? I don't like that. I don't like that, but I love that one. Mm. And they can talk to their friends about it. If they're going to buy stuff, someone's like, hey, let me get, let me suggest a good whiskey for me. They're like, yeah, I can do that. Like, yeah, you know. And given that experience and that comfort without having to take the hit as far as like experimenting and buying a bottle and I don't like this bottle. I spent $500 over the course of three months and I'm not <laughs> right, happy. Right, right. Um, as far as the club starting, what ended up happening was I was at an, an Ardbeg event, which is a very smoky scotch whiskey and I was sitting next to three gentlemen who work at an, arch an architectural firm. Mm. And we started talking and drinking, and it ended up being that um, at some point I mentioned I wanted to do a whiskey club. And they're like, oh, well, we have a conference room. And I'm like, oh, and that's kind of how it started. And like, that's been the basis. It's kind of been there, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, and it's funny because like for the most part, like we never advertise it. We haven't put it on the web. It's kind of just been like friends of friends. Okay. Um, you know, we're, I'm looking, I'll probably expand as like, do some more locations just to, you know, maybe like do it by borough. Mm. I mean, I live in the Bronx, having one up here would be fun. Right, right. You know, right. should do one in Brooklyn, do one in Queens, but that's all in the works. So right, once right. that happens, I'll spread the word because obviously we'll need some new recruits. We'll need mm. some new blood, like, like, <laughs> like, like we're the military or something. Right. Um, but yeah, that's how it started. And, that, and like, I find that, you know, people don't have the comfort with whiskey that they have with something like wine or beer. Mm. There's those are just easier, mm. um, in my opinion, to deal mm. with. People who are really into beer tell me will tell me I'm I'm full of it. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe they're right. I'm just thinking from my world, right? It's you know, beer seems easy. You know, right. Well, everybody's you know, every, everybody's going to be uh, you know partial to yeah. To that thing, you know, I'm yeah. partial. I'm partial to the wine, right? <laughs> myself, yeah. So, but I do like to to every once in a while go out and experiment with different, uh, you know, different beers and different whiskeys, different things. You know, kind of the, the variety is the spice of life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, thing is, it's always good to do that. And, and uh, one of the reasons I sought you out too to mm -hmm. kind of broaden my experience, you know, in that in that area too. So now your book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the infamous the four pounder that makes my elbow hurt right um, drink yeah. very good title very yeah. uh very universal title yeah. <laughs> well drink tell us a little bit about you know how you uh you know you 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 know what made you decide to write the book first of all well it's funny it was kind of handed to me on a platter it's like i love books i love reading i do write and I just got an offer to work on a cocktail book. They're just like, you know, I, I could tell you that the phone call kind of went like this. Kirk, can you write a book on cocktails? And I'm like, I mean, I really write about whiskey. That's my thing. But no, no, can you write about cocktails? I'm like, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm arrogant. I can write anything. Yeah. Just let me give me give me time. I'll, you know, and, you know, the thing is in writing the book, it's like, especially living here, New York is such a great cocktail town. And also on my travels, like it ended up that I would, you know, you're in New Orleans, or you're in Hong Kong. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, there are great places to have a cocktail. And I had very, I had great experiences. I've had great experiences in cocktail bars in New York. 
Um, and so, you know, I went through the books, I did the research, I reached out to some bars that I'd been to in my travels. I also hit up bars that I knew of, and I kind of wanted their take. The idea being that the book should be good for every level of um, knowledge. Mm. So if you're a beginner, there's 1,100 recipes. There's non-alcoholic recipes. There's re recipes for every spirit. So mm. if you love gin, you know, there's 200 gin cocktails just for you. You mm. love wine. There are wine cocktails there, vodka, um, whiskey, you know, rum. They're there. Also is little hints about things like how to deal with ice, which if you're making a cocktail, ice is one of the most important things you'll deal with because if you make a nice cocktail and you get the bag of ice from 7-Eleven, you might have ruined your cocktail. <laughs> um, and you're wasting your time. It's mm. like you need to get better ice and ice cube makers. It's like you're, you know if you're at a fancy restaurant or mm. a fancy bar, they have a machine that's 10,000 bucks to make ice. Mm. If you're in Japan, a guy will get a block of ice and then hack off a piece and then shape it for your drink. I don't expect you to do that. My advice was like, hey, you know what? Maybe you just get what I would call like a party um, ice tray. You get a couple where, you know what? You break it out for that party. You make a fresh batch of ice and you dry it out and you put it away. Mm -hmm. And you only put it out for parties because if it's sitting in your fridge... With, you know, the chicken stock and the <laughs> leftovers, you know, your ice is going to smell like whatever was in the freezer. Whereas if you only use it for a little bit, it's not going to take on those smells, or at least it shouldn't if you, if you do proper maintenance. Mm. But the whole thing with the book was that, again, you wanted it to be like for the beginner, mm. mid-level person who's been making cocktails in their home and just wanted to add just because of the amount of cocktails and there's more advice about, you know, tools and maybe what you want to spend your money on, um, that might entice them. And then for the pro, hey, even they may have a cocktail in there they don't know. But also what I did was I did a lot of Q&As and interviews with bar owners and bartenders all around the world. Mm. So, you know, I'm in Dublin a guy makes me a great cocktail. I talk to that guy and say, hey, you know, like, what'd you do? How'd you get into this? Mm. When you're making a cocktail, what do you focus on? Mm. Same thing with, like, famous, like, award-winning bars. It's like, hey, you guys built a new space. You've made three other bars. What's special about this bar? I found I was often asking them the same question. But what ends up happening is each place is different. Mm. So my, you know, the bar in Russia is different than the bar in Hong Kong. Their needs and concerns, what are they not getting? What do they get lots of? Mm. What fruits they use or what do they want to use um, to make a whiskey? Um, I'm not a whiskey, I apologize. I'm, I'm a cocktail. Right. Make, a, make a cocktail. <laughs> right, to make yeah. a cocktail, it's like, <laughs> what do you want to use? Like, what ingredients do you want to use? What do you guys favor? What flavors are you trying to do? Mm. Um, we had one, um, we had one uh, bar it had a huge set of information on shrubs. I had never dealt with shrubs, so I started getting to the book. Hmm. And I have a friend who's a cook and does it, but it's a whole you know thing for cocktails. Hmm. And this is like, for me, it was a whole new world. And so the hope is, is that with the book, you know, they'll, there are always going to be other cocktail books. There are books, there are things that I didn't put in, or, you know, there'll be new cocktails that I don't know about. 
But if you wanted like the joy of cooking a good all-rounder that could kind of let either let you up your game or learn something or add to your skills, that, you know, I'm of the opinion my book can do the trick. Okay. So now what percentage of your 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 experiences with cocktails and, and whiskey and bourbon versus your research when in, would you say went into the actual creation of the book? I would say research was probably 75%, maybe 80. Because realistically, it's like you're dealing with cocktails. Part of it is gathering information. Like how to make a martini is, it exists. It's mm -hmm. like it's out there. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to go through, hey, let's look at a couple different recipes. Which is the best recipe for this? Or in my opinion, what's the best recipe? Uh, hey, you want to make um, a particular drink, a grasshopper. Like... We did this thing, or I did this thing with when I asked the bars about, hey, if you took a classic cocktail, how would you modify it? What would you do to like spice it up or make it better? Mm -hmm. And they would throw in little hints, like, hey, maybe I'd use matcha tea from you know from China. Wow. Maybe I'll you know use almond milk to do this, and mm -hmm. I'll do something else, and I'll froth it this way. Um, you know, it's just like. You know, the things there, that was part of the research, but like I, I sought out that stuff. So mm -hmm. therefore that changed it. Um, but yeah, I would say it was probably for this type of book, it's it's 75, 25 is my guess. 75% research and 25% like me, like right, either right, tracking right. Okay. that stuff or what did I do. Okay. Um, and it was funny, like in the making of it, I'd be hanging out with friends who didn't necessarily know I was working on a book. And they're like, Kurt, why are you ordering a daiquiri? I'm like, I'm just, I'm writing. I, I'm I need to work <laughs> this out. Taste it all. Right? right. Well, the thing is, usually I'm, I'm ordering, I'm ordering whiskey. Right, That's right. my thing. I walk at a bar, I'm ordering whiskey. Right. For me to sit there and then I'm like, you know what I'm looking at? What's their cocktail menu? I'm just going to go through this stuff. Mm. Like I'm getting three cocktails tonight. I'm like, I'm picking. <laughs> what do they have that I haven't had? What's interesting? Mm. There it is. You know? give, it a, give it a shot. Exactly. Okay. So now do you have any favorite uh, people that, uh, favorite writers that kind of cover some of the areas that you cover or, or other areas of, uh, yeah. you know, of, of cocktails and drinking? Yeah. I mean, there's um, Dave Wondrich, uh, way better than me. I had the pleasure of meeting him after I finished the book. Mm. And, you know, it was intimidating in that I'm like, well, I wonder what Dave would think about this book. I mean, here's a guy who's like, he writes for Esquire. He's a cocktail historian. Mm. He knows way more than me. So I'm like... You know, it's like I'm happy I didn't meet him till later because I'd have been curious to like, here, what do you think about this? I'm probably bugging the poor man. Mm. Um, <laughs> I love there's um, Dave Broom who writes about whiskey. One of the best whiskey writers there is. Um, there's, um, and then it's funny because I'm going to start, um, the Charlie McLean, another great whiskey writer. Mm. Um, there are some books I read. Um, there's, Stefan Van Eyken did this book on, on Japanese whiskey, which helped me immensely. It's mm. a book called Whiskey Rising. And when I went to Japan, people thought I was amazing. Because, mm. you know, it's weird. It's like you go to Japan, your black guy doesn't speak Japanese. But strangely, I knew the whiskeys. I'm like, oh, you know, oh, that's an old model of Tories, the old Centauri blend from like the 50s. And I'm like, how do you know that? I'm like, you know, I read. You did your homework, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I, stu I studied up. I crammed for the for the final. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're definitely and you know, um, Dave. Dave. Um, I'm trying to think about names. 
It's funny because mom getting senile now. <laughs> but um, Dale DeGroff did mm. um, The Craft of the Cocktail. And that was like my, I believe it's called Craft of the Cocktail. Mm. It was a great book. The first book um, that I ever had with cocktails mm. where I got to experiment um, when I was here. Like, oh, I'm having friends over. Let me make something. Um, but I find for any spirit, um, like as I've gotten more into wine, I've been collecting books because mm. the books might tip you to like, hey, this is an underrated vintage or it's an underrated um, vineyard or it's an underrated bottle. Maybe you find it and taste it and see if you like it. Because think of it like, I think of it like with jeans. You know, everybody knows what a Levi's is. Mm. But there are other jeans that are maybe as good or better. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you don't know about them. <laughs> right, so, yeah. you know, you need someone else to tell you or hip you to it that, hey, maybe you want to try that. Maybe right. you, maybe you want to see if that, that fits for you better, you know. Mm. Mm. So now how much of, of uh, versus maybe finding about finding out about something in a book versus just your pure discovery process. Let's say like if you, if you're on a trip to uh, Seattle, mm -hmm. you know, and you just kind of saunter into a, a local watering hole. Right. And you, you know, what, what's your discovery process and, and how do you like that? Just to discover something. Usually something what will end up happening is new. I'll take their menu and I'll go through it and I'll see like, are there whiskeys listed? Are there cocktails listed? Are there cocktails I haven't had? Looking at the cocktail description, this is a variant, like some like there's some unique spin that I haven't tasted before. Or I'm looking at the shelves, like I'm looking at their whiskey. Like I remember being in Denver and there's this bar where it's just like, you know, a wall of whiskey. Mm. And I'm looking to see what's there that I haven't had or what's there that I like and it's like at a cheaper price because I'm not in New York. You're like, oh yeah, that Weller 12 is only 10 bucks. Oh, it's $25 in New York. Let's right. get a little bit of that for a while. Because, <laughs> right, you know, right, right. You know I, I want people to be smart about their uh, spirit purchases. Whether you're right. buying wine or, you know, I don't want you to overspend. You know, I want, I want to respect your wallet along mm. with, uh, you know, your choices. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. So speaking of Denver, mm -hmm. uh, wine, wine destinations are, are some of the things that I do and mm -hmm. a lot of other people do. So for whiskey, is it is it a lot... A lot of places in that vein, if, you know, for people like yourself that that enjoy whiskey, are there whiskey destinations uh, around the world that you prefer and you can tell us a little more about? Yeah, um, I find if you're an American, it's easy to, let's say, I mean, if you're in New York, you can go upstate, go to Hill Rock. Um, if you're definitely go to Kentucky, go to Tennessee, you know, some of the most famous of the American distilleries are there. Mm -hmm. um, but also in Denver, like Stranahan's is there. I had a great time in that place. Mm -hmm. Denver was uh, a delight, and I'd never been there before. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I mean, I think you have to research it. Like my first trip to Scotland, like I love Scotland. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. But Scottish roads are narrower than ours. And trying to do like estimates on how long it takes to get someplace tend to fail unless you're with somebody who live who lives there and mm. knows the area mm. it's like oh that should be two hours no it's three it's three because <laughs> you know you're on a you end up on some short like one lane road or some sheep decided to sit there and they're not moving and you can't touch them so therefore <laughs> you know it's taking you longer um mm. the weather will change i remember being on isla and bunahabin and i remember it rained then i got like maybe a little bit of hail mm. then i got sunburn 
like in a matter of a couple hours. Like mm. you're, but you're on an island, and it's like it's beautiful. I'm like, and this is amazing. Mm. Um, I definitely think that if you're gonna do it, you have to kind of look at things to do besides the whiskey. So mm. like, if you go to Kentucky. You want to mix some history in there. Right. There's some great places to eat. Find some place, you know, if you like sports, hey, you know what? Go to the Derby, you know, go see basketball, right, you know, right. do something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that like, I mean, my favorite places if I'm out of the States, I mean, I love Dublin, but I'd probably say it's Scotland and Japan. And Japan, Japan might be tops for mm -hmm. me going to distilleries. Mm -hmm. Um... And I don't know, maybe it's just like it's exotic and, you know, it's like, or I think it's exotic because, I mean, like, I've been to Scotland a lot, but I love Scotland. Like, I pretty much go to Scotland every year mm. to get some, you know, research, talk to people in the industry, that kind of thing. I have to go at least once, you mm. know. So now, do you do any any uh, tours on your own that you that you sponsor or that you lead? Working on some of that now, funny that you say, you know, <laughs> uh, I do some tastings with the New York Adventure Club. And there's been discussions about maybe doing a scotch tour or a mixture. They tend to do, you know, very unique events in New York, kind of things you don't get to normally do. And the thought was that, hey, we could do an event where the founder of the New York Adventure Club could pick some unique Scottish experiences away from the spirits. Mm. And I would pick like hey go to this famous you know whiskey bar in scotland mm. or go to this famous distillery in scotland and you kind of get your experience you know so like you get a combined experience you're getting cultural you're getting food you're getting spirits you get sightseeing it's all good mm. you know mm. okay very good very good uh we're gonna take a break okay. right now this is the one bottle at a time podcast and we're here today with Mr. Kurt Maitland. Uh, he's with the Manhattan Whiskey Club. That is correct. All right. Uh, we'll be right back. I bet you didn't know the square root of 69. And I lay it in the one. It'll make you feel fine. Hey, I hear the gate is all four point fade. But I got an inside guy named Dave. He says, double down on the tide. Put your dollars in the stack. Me a bottle of Jack, and I can't win it back. Hey, I bet you didn't know music when cotton was king, and I lay it to the one, all you heard was blues swing. Hey, I got a filly in the race that's real fine when places show. Every single time, but catch me if you can, was last in the pack. Cost me a bottle of Jack, and I can't win it back. Well, old Glenn Goodspeed was talking about Jeff Davis, and if the South would have won. What about old PBS pitch reconstruction and my boy Oscar Dunn? Wait a minute now, hey, two on, two outs, two strikes. Did you hear that bad crack? That's what I get for rooting against the Yankees. Cost me a bottle of Jack. And I 
Okay, we're back. This is Ronald Dorsey, and we're here today with Mr. Kurt Maitland of the Manhattan Whiskey Club. Uh, Kurt, uh, to continue, wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what would you recommend to uh, somebody like myself that's more of a wine drinker? What would you recommend to someone, uh, you know, that's kind of just kind of feeling their way around the whiskey world just to start out? What, what type of whiskey or, or bourbon or how would you start them out? Well, I'd say, I mean, uh, the, my first bit of advice is to know thine self. So if you're a wine person, you like wine. There are several whiskeys that are finished in wine. Mm. So, for example, Glenmorangie has this great range where they have, you know, one where it's one is finished in port. One is finished in Sauterne. It's like if you have a sweet tooth, you know what? Maybe you want the Glenmorangie Nectar d'Or. That's the one in Sauterne. Mm. Um, or maybe you want the La Santa, which is the one finished. I think that's one. I think that one's wine. Um, or the uh, Quinta Ruban, which is the port. You know, it's a good way to get you in. If like, oh, I like port or I like a sweet wine. Hey, here's a flavor I'm already interested in. The whiskey has some of that because it's been in that cask. Mm. Now. You'll find as you go through and you really get into whiskey, there are times when a whiskey will be aged. Like I have one, like I have a, a bottle that's been aged 21 years in a burgundy cask. Mm. It's, you like burgundy and it's like grapey. It's really grapey. It's like you had a can of Welch's soda, opened it up and left it like open in your apartment. You come in and all you smell it is grape. Um, I think knowing what you personally like is a good first step. So... I would say, like somebody starting with whiskeys, I would definitely say you like wine, find a couple whiskeys that you can taste in a bar that are finished in a wine cask. Mm. Um, and, you know, sherry cask will be easy to find, but you'll find as well, you know, port and other wines. Mm -hmm. And just look, see if there's a wine you like that happens to be finished in and maybe take a taste. Um, I think that, you know, the bar is probably your best place to a good bar mm -hmm. with a decent selection right, right. is your best place <laughs> to get a taste because a lot of bars they'll give you a little pour just so you can taste it before they pour it out they'll give you a little you know and not enough for you to get you know get a buzz on and not like a full ounce mm. but they'll let you have a taste so you can say hey I like that yeah I'd like to have that the way they would with wine they pour you a little bit you taste it you're like nah maybe I want this one mm. um, I would say for you because you like wine definitely the um, Glenmorangie okay um, those they're 12 year old and are aged in different casks I might say go that that route I don't know if you like smoky I tend to tell people if you don't know, but you want to try one, I'd say get a whiskey that's not all 
it's not the smokiest whiskey you can get, but has some elements of that in it. Mm. So something cheap, and this is cheap, not in quality. <laughs> this is inex- inexpensive. Inexpensive, in right? Cost. Maybe that's a better word. Inexpensive. Yeah, let's let's use the word inexpensive. <laughs> right. There's a blend called Teachers, which um, for a while hadn't been in the states. It's just been recently brought back. Mm. I got a liter bottle for like twenty three bucks, and actually, it's pretty good, mm. and it has some smokiness to it, but it's not overly smoky, and it's a good, like you came home from work, you needed a break, you put some in a tumbler, maybe you have it neat, maybe you have a little bit of ice or a little bit of water, and you relax. Mm. It's like you're not going to think about it. You're not worried about the cost. It costs you twenty three dollars. Go ahead, have have a little bit, hang out, you know. You do tend to get precious about the whiskeys when they cost you a lot of money. Mm. You get a bottle that I spent four hundred dollars on this bottle. Well, you know, you're not really just going to come home from work and just throw it back. Mm. So that's not the bottle. <laughs> that's a bottle for like I'm having a you know an old friend over and like hey we should share this bottle. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think definitely know know thyself and kind of what you like the taste of. Do you like things that are sweet? Do you like it smoky? Do you want something in between? Let's say if you want it sweet, um, Glenmorangie works. Um, let's see. Let's see. You can go Glenlivet. You can go um, Balvenie. If mm-hmm. you want something a little bit smoky, that Teacher's Blend I told you about, maybe Johnny Black um, or Johnny Walker Black because mm-hmm. people know which mm-hmm. one it is. <laughs> um, Johnny Walker Green, which is one of my favorite like blends. Um also, if you're going to go like American, I would say Four Roses, Michter's, Woodford Reserve, um, Dickel. Dickel's another one where it's, you know, inexpensive. Mm-hmm. A lot of value for money. It's a mm-hmm. bartender's friend. Yeah, yeah. I was on a plane flight one day with somebody and he couldn't understand the appeal of Dickel. I'm like, imagine you own a bar and you're choosing between Bullet and Dickel. I'm like, Bullet's good, but Bullet costs two and a half times what a bottle of Dickel does. Mm. So what's gonna, what makes more profit for you as a bar? And it's like, it's good. So why don't you use it? You know mm. what I mean? You're, you're making drinks. <laughs> um, and then if you're going to go really, really smoky, I'd say, um, well, actually, let me back up. Other mid, mid smoky whiskeys or whiskeys that have some elements of smoke, Springbank 10, Highland Park 12. Mm. They're just good to kind of, if you want to kind of start that journey, mm. I'd go there and then see if you like it, and then you can go deeper in. You can do some delving. You want the really smoky whiskeys, then you're talking Lagavulin and Ardbeg and Laphroaig mm-hmm. and Octomore, which is supposed to be the peatiest whiskey made today. Um, those are all good starters, but again, I would start them in a bar. I wouldn't just go yeah. buy a bottle. Some of those bottles yeah. would cost you you know, 70 bucks or 80 bucks, mm. you know, so you don't know if you like it yet. Maybe you should, you know, do a little experimenting, you know? Okay. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to, uh, Dublin mm-hmm. from New York, flying with my uh, significant other, mm-hmm. you know, for a nice, uh, two week getaway. Okay. And, uh, we want to, we want you to give us advice when we saunter into uh, a nice place to, to, to get some whiskey and, and they also have some cuisine. Mm-hmm. What am I going to pair with it? Give give me something I'm going to pair with the you know with the really good uh, a really good Irish whiskey. Well, see, I mean, depends on which whiskey you get. Okay. However, I'd say just general advice for Dublin. Uh, one, duty free in Dublin's one of the best uh, in Europe. 
So I would do some shopping. I'd mm-hmm. maybe buy some bottles on your way out to yeah, take right. home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one. Two, I would visit some of the distilleries. I'd go to I'd go to Guinness, which is beer, but it's still a great experience, mm-hmm. and you get one of the best views of Dublin high up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also say go to Teeling's. Great experience, lots of fun, and up and coming, but not completed yet. Uh, Diageo is building a new Irish distillery, um, Rowan Co. And mm. it'll be, you know, depending on when you're going, it might be up and operational, or at least you can see it. Mm. As far as a pairing, I mean, I think that I would go, I mean, just thinking about it. I mean, I'm almost thinking beer, but that's just me and that's not a food. Um, certainly you can do something like a stew. Mm. and like Jameson's, like a beer and a nice Irish stew and some Jameson's on the side. Um, I would say definitely if there's something like a nice, like, you know, fish dish. And if you do fish and you want to try something smoky, there's actually a smoky Irish whiskey. Most Irish whiskeys aren't smoky, they're sweet. Mm. But there's a smoky Irish whiskey called Connemara. And Connemara is peated. Not as heavily peated as some of the other stuff, but it has some pee to it. So like mm-hmm. that might go really well if you had something like a salmon. Okay, so um, now when you say peated, you know, explain that a little more when you sure. say peated in terms peated, of the flavor profile. Peated whiskey is smoky whiskey. Okay. Like a lot of people, uh, when they talk about whiskey, they'll say smoky. They'll say it when the whiskey isn't necessarily smoky. They might say it about bourbon. But really what they're talking about, the fact that the bourbon is oaky because of the barrel. It's getting a lot of the barrel um, on the flavor mm. or affecting the flavor profile. Um, whereas peat is an actual peating whiskey is a process or creating pre- peated whiskey is a process. And all it is is basically you dry the barley or you dry the grain. You're going to um, make the low-end beer. You're going to distill. You're going to cook because alcohol boils faster than uh, water does. Mm-hmm. So the basic process is, okay, you take your grain, you turn it into a beer. It might be a blend of different grains to get the beer you want. Um, You're going to put that beer and you're going to cook it. You cook that beer and that's the distillation process. The vapor you get coming off there because alcohol boils faster than water will be captured by the still. And the shape of still will affect the flavors you're getting. Mm. and how light or heavy your whiskey is going to be. And then it's going to be collected. And that pure thing is alcohol. Um, now, with a peated whiskey, in the drying process, what you end up doing is you burn peat. Mm-hmm. Peat's like low-grade coal. Mm-hmm. And it's very smoky. So while you're drying your um, grain before you make the beer with this peat, that smoke gets on the barley. Mm-hmm. So when you take that barley and you turn it, you use it to make the beer, that kind of sticks with it and it permeates the beer. So therefore, it's like you still get that smoky smell. When you cook it and turn it into distillate, you turn it into whiskey, that smoky still stays with it and it stays with it. And that's peat or okay. that's how peat affects whiskey. OK. All right. OK, so we're going to wrap it up and uh, we'll give uh, Kurt opportunity to uh Give us information uh, if, if, if you have a, a uh, email address for anyone that has a question that they'd like to, to send you sure. in reference to uh, whiskey or, or this particular podcast or anything else. Uh, go ahead and give them your information, your website, your email address or any other 
uh, things that you think will be good information for them, including your book. Yeah, and, and and where they can get a nice copy of it. Well, the <laughs> book you can get on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can get it at Target, and you can get it supposedly at Costco. Um, it's just called Drink. You type in my name, Kurt Maitland, it'll pop up. Um, I recommend it highly, but I might be biased, so mm-hmm. there is that. Um, <laughs> as far as uh, an email to reach out to me to talk to talk to me about, because I do private tastings as well as like teaching events, club events. Um, it's Kurt K U R T at uh, whiskeyselections.com but it's okay. whiskey with an e so it's w h i s k e y selections.com um and yeah i'm reachable there i'm also on instagram um i'm actually whiskey selections on instagram um or at whiskey selections on instagram and it'll pop up okay but um but yeah i mean this has been fun yeah, and, uh, and yeah. educational even for me very educational for me so uh here at uh, one bottle at a time we have a way we'd like to uh, end our podcast with a little uh, maybe a little literary tidbit okay. and uh like to uh throw out a short story of the day <laughs> so uh if you have a short story of the day you you would like to share with our audience Let's think about this. Is it a whiskey short story? <laughs> it could be a short it? story about anything. Anything that, that you know you think may interest our audience. Because I'm, I'm a lover of short stories. Okay. So. All right. The, the, uh, I'm thinking... Um, hmm. I love it. You, you actually stumped me. Okay. Here. Here's a short story. Um, early in my writing career, writing for the Whiskey Reviewer, I should mention that. Um, you'll see my writings um, about whiskey on the whiskeyreviewer.com. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing the master uh, blender for Diageo. Mm. His name is Jim Beveridge. It's pronounced like the drink, but it's spelled differently. Mm. And I had I asked him, and this goes back to what I said in the beginning, how. You know, here's a person who's been in his in the industry for you know decades, and he knows it way better than I do. And I get ten minutes with him. I want to ask him a question, mm. um, or want to talk to him and have him get something out of it. So I, the last question I asked him when I was interviewing him was, okay, you know, Jim, it's like you know you have access to one of the richest collections of whiskey in the world. You have, you know, twenty seven distilleries mm. plus distilleries that are closed. You have that as stock to make a blend. I go, what whiskeys that you don't have that you would love to have access to just to make a blend? And then I told him not to get fired. So I go, yeah, be careful. Don't get fired. <laughs> um, so he thought about it for a little while. And he's like, you know, he's like, I think we're good on scotch. I think that like with the stocks we have, we can make the blends I want out of what we have. He goes, what I'd be interested in, however, are some of the Asian whiskeys, mm. um, Kavalon, um, you know, the Suntory releases, Yamazaki, because there's certain flavors that occur in those whiskeys that aren't part of what we have in our portfolio. Mm. And so I think it'd be interesting to kind of experiment with those. So when I was done, he was like, you know, that was, that was a good question. He like kind of patted me on the back and I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like happy that that made my day. Mm. So yeah, there's a short, that's a short story about me writing and asking questions. Um, and trying to keep it interesting. 
Okay, wonderful. Uh, so my short story of the day is a uh, selection from Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Murders at the Rue Morgue. I think it's a very, uh, very wonderful short story, and that's, that's mine for today. So this has been Ronald Dorsey for One Bottle at a Time with Mr. Kurt Maitland of the Manhattan Whiskey Club. One Bottle at a Time is a production of Sky Palace Music. Well, old Glenn Goodspeed was talking about Jeff Davis, and if the South would have won. I said, hey, what about old PBS pitch reconstruction and my boy Oscar Dunn? Wait a minute now, hey, two on, two outs, two strikes. Did you hear that bad crack? That's what I get for rooting against the Yankees. Cost me a bottle of Jack. And I can't win it back. Can't win it back. Cost me a bottle of Jack. And I can't win it back. I can't win it back. And I can't win it back. Can't win it back. Can't win it back. Cost me a bottle of jack. Can't win it back. Hey, I bet you didn't know.